0: Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 2, A Night of the Seven Kingdoms, a very unusual and lovingly written episode that arguably could be the most surprising episode maybe of the final season in terms of its construction. I don't think anyone really expected with only six hours left to spend an entire episode having small, quiet, uh, chatty scenes with characters at Winterfell. But that's exactly what we got on the eve of this great battle. Uh, So we're going to get into that. And with uh, Danny finding out and uh, Maisie and Gendry's big scene and uh, Jamie and Brienne's amazing moments. Uh, But first... um, Introducing the all-new Toyota RAV4 XSE Hybrid. With sport-tuned suspension, advanced hybrid technology, and relentless horsepower, it's ready to blow past the competition. And since our most powerful RAV4 is a hybrid, it's leaving all expectations in its wake. RAV4's revolutionized style and luxurious cabin give you the comfort and confidence to, to take over. So if it's power you're after, the RAV4 xse hybrids the answer visit toyota.com slash rav4 for more details okay darren um okay let's uh let's go to your your thoughts first what what was your reaction uh to to this episode I, I, i i i feel like your 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 contrarian instincts make you automatically love spending uh a lot of time with, with, with more minor characters, because that's that, that's something that you kind of always dig.
1: How dare you say that I have contrarian instincts, just because I happen to think the Greyjoys have been severely underserved by this show. Um, and that James, Star Trek
0: The Motion Picture is the best Star Trek movie. That is
1: not true. That is not true. How dare you say that? I just said it was an interesting Star Trek movie. <laughs> uh, we all know that the best Star Trek movie is Star Trek For The Voyage Home When They Save the Whales. But James, um, one of the things that I'm excited about to get into with you in this episode is last week week, you'd kind of teased for me that this was going to be a very play-like episode. Yes. Um, and uh, in your interview with the episode's writer, Brian Cogman, he kind of mentioned that. This idea of the sort of, you know, off-Broadway play version of the show before we get into the dragons fighting zombie dragons over a battlefield of dead and undead and living people fighting each other, a version of Game of Thrones. Um, and very often when we talk about television, I feel like if there's a main divide between us. it's sometimes that like episodes that are not very plotty I tend to like and you tend to not like the, the classic example being Breaking Bad's Fly episode. Yes. One of my favorite oh, episodes. Oh yes. And which
0: I <laughs> will yes I completely uh, yes.
1: I think that's because because Fly is definitely one of your least favorite Breaking Bad episodes. Absolutely it so is. It we, is. Are the ori- we are the original odd couple of podcasting uh, about TV shows but um, so going into this episode I was kind of like well I'm going to love this and James is going to not like this and I think based on your recap, we've totally like gone the Did opposite we directions. Places? We switched places. <laughs> um, I, I was not super into um, a Knight of, of, of the Seven Kingdoms. Um, I, I really respected the ambitions here. I, I think what you were saying really echoes for me that this in some respects is the most surprising kind of Game of Thrones episode to do at this point. Um, it reminded me a lot of, uh, I, I know we're both uh, regular viewers of Band of Brothers, the HBO miniseries. And this was a little bit, this, this was almost kind of like a Bastonia episode where it's kind of like the battle is looming and everyone is just sort of like preparing mentally and emotionally. Um, and I'm not sure all the interactions in this episode really worked for me. It was the kind of thing where it really spot, It really shined a light on the characters and dynamics that I really love. Like, you know, little scenes between um, Arya and the Hound. Or for me, like, you know, the big moment of the episode uh, where uh, w- between Brienne and Jamie like that was stuff that I thought was really um, incredibly like enriching uh, some of the other stuff it felt a little bit like we were treading water and I say that knowing that in your recap you specifically called out a phantom viewer who complained that last year's uh, th- th- that last season was too fast moving so so I am the impossible to please Game of Thrones viewer apparently
0: <laughs> yeah 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 and in, in, in the recap I was like you know if your complaint was last season was too fast and this episode Episode is too slow. You're an impossible to please garbage person, and you really need to go st- take take stock in, in your life. Um, you, know, you know, it's kind of like there's this one uh, quote from like Jack White where he's talking about the Beatles, and he's just like going, you know, I don't understand people who don't like the Beatles. He's like, if if you don't like the Beatles, then you must be listening to music for the wrong reason, and. <laughs> And that's how I kind of feel about this episode. It's like, if you don't like this episode, I feel like you're watching TV for the wrong reason. <laughs> because most hours of television do not have, you know, sword fights and dragon battles and, and 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 everything else. So, and I just think that this does, those quiet moments that Game of Thrones does so well that we started to feel like we hadn't gotten as many of um, in in the last couple of years. And I do think this has a lot of distinctions between uh, the fly episode because the fly episode was such a one-off it was literally you could watch the episode before the fly episode of breaking bad which if you're not a breaking bad fan they basically just spend an entire episode in a lab just you know sort of ruminating and chasing an insect um and but you james, could, it, it, james and, the and, insect
1: and, is a metaphor the insect uh, is a metaphor don't and, you get
0: it and you <laughs> and you could pick up the episode after fly and like not miss a thing but you know this episode was still very much essential and it was very much and and still moved the ball forward in in terms of story And, and it has that looming battle hanging over it the entire time so there's this underlying tension there that there's a point to all this and that this is the last time we're gonna see some of all of we don't know these characters you know again, after the next episode. So, you know, you, we know some of these people aren't going to make it. We don't know which. And so we're, 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 we're getting a chance to take stock of, of all of them. And uh, as Brian Cogman, the, the writer, point out, you know, usually in a battle episode this show gives you like about 15 minutes of pre-battle calm before the storm moments with the battle's participants and here they just said you know we're going to stop and we're going to spend we, we finally have all these characters together in one place we haven't had this they haven't had this since, since like the pilot and the pilot you'll remember there was something kind of frustrating about from a Game of Thrones fan perspective because you go back and look at it and you're like oh they had them all together for such a short period of time why don't we get a you know more scenes with like you know john and rob or you know you know you know with uh you know uh and and sansa you know you know they didn't want to i feel like they didn't want not that that was necessarily a mistake because they wanted to get the show moving but they didn't want to miss that opportunity again you know you have everybody there let's take some time to you know you know you know you know what would tormund say to davos and you know and on and on
1: <laughs> well, listen. I will say uh, to your Beatles comparison, even the Beatles had songs by Ringo, so not everybody hits it out <laughs> of the park every time. But um, let's kind of dig in a little bit, go scene by scene. We'll we'll work through this together. Um, episode began with uh, what I thought was actually one of the stronger moments with Jamie facing down like multiple families and generations of people who want him dead. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was kind of interesting. You kind of you mentioned in some of your writing uh, that. that that was published overnight. The echo of like the trial of Tyrion, and this idea of like we're kind of seeing multiple people running down his personal history. And this is the one time that Sansa and Danny seem to actually be agreeing on something in this whole sort of like very awkward Winterfell alliance. Um, h- how did you kind of feel about his return and how that sort of played out? That th- that was a scene that seemed to be going to a very tense and like potentially fatal direction, and then it kind of took a left turn, um, thanks to the arrival of Brienne, who reappeared after not really being th- that present last week.
0: I mean, I'm impressed at how many scenes are, you know, serve multiple purposes. Because on one hand, yes, this is about Jamie, but it's also very much about uh, Sansa and Daenerys, you know, and, and sort of, you know, is anything going to stop the rising tension between them? And, (laughs) and, you know, so, and it's also very much about Jamie and Brienne and sort of, you know, evolving their, their, uh, friendship, like, like another notch. Um, so yeah, I, I thought that scene was, was, was excellent. And, and it kind of gave a sort of recapped in a way, you know, his his character's whole arc and we've sort of seen how, how, how far he's come and, um, and yeah, there's a moment there where you just kind of don't know how it's going to go because really they have every right in the world to execute Jamie Laster. He, he's he's a horrible person. I mean, we've been privileged to sort of see this certain take on on his character, but you know, I mean, the guy the guy's done a lot of bad shit, and you know, and yeah. if if they had chose to execute him, you know, you could argue that that's perfectly fair. Thing, thing to do, and you, you can just see Danny there, just kind of bristling, just kind of having to take part in this like tribunal where you know, you know, it's, it's it. They didn't specify how things were, you know, how, how the judgment was necessarily going to be doled out, but it seemed like everybody got a vote, and you know, the last thing she wants to be is part of some senate you know, she, 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 she wants to be in the Iron Throne, and what she says goes. You know, she doesn't have to like yeah. be voted down by Jon and Sansa.
1: Well, and, and what you're saying too about just like the different things that are happening in that scene, you know you have Jamie kind of basically not defending his actions, or rather defending them by saying, like, listen, like this was a time of war. You know, when I was killing your father, I I did that for a reason. When I was helping to kill your father, I did that for a reason. Um, I think that's interesting as we think about sort of setting up the end game of this show. When we get to a point where like, you know, when everyone has been at war at everyone for many years, there comes a point where you're probably, like, staring across a table at someone who tried to kill you or tried to kill everyone you know at some point. I thought that was just interesting. Like, he wasn't kind of saying, like, oh, like, I've changed. He was just like, no, like, I've, you know, I did all that for reasons and, and, and would do it all again. At the same time, I liked how then, you know, his kind of first interaction with Tyrion, um he... He he's the only one there who has killed a Targaryen before and is very conscious of the fact that, like, you know, Targaryens have gone crazy and have mm. not been very good rulers, at least in the recent history of Westeros. And I liked how just his arrival in general after these first two episodes have been a lot of like people kind of ride into Winterfell and hug people and remember you know things from recent seasons and I just like how in general he's kind of there to sort of plant that flag and let you kind of you remind you that like there is this question about Danny as a ruler and to your point exactly like she's only ever been someone who's been the one person in charge and now she's on this yeah this like tribunal of multiple royals and the warden of the north and the lady of Winterfell and she just not seem to be enjoying that very much, um, which I thought was kind of cool. How, how did you feel in general about like? I kind of think that the dynamic between her and Sansa um, isn't it, it kind of on the same train. It seems to be setting up stuff for this theoretical time after the army, uh, after the battle with the army of of the dead.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's very. It sort of seems like it's a very hypothetical time, right? Because we've we know the battle is the next episode, and that was something that the production was very much trying to keep quiet. Um, there's, like, one actor, and I won't say who it was, that 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 blurted it out in one interview, and it kind of got out there on the fan sites that it was episode three, uh, which people were bummed about, because it, the idea has been setting up that this, you know, climactic battle is, is like, pretty much the end of, uh, of the show, but it's clearly not the end of the show, because there's three more episodes after that. And we haven't seen anything from those episodes. It's like none of the photos... None, none of the trailer footage. You, we have no idea what the back half of the entire final season of Game of Thrones looks like, which is really exciting. Um,
1: because well, well, James, because because it's going to be uh, Grey Worm and Basande uh, go to go the to beach. the beach. It's going to be three. It's it's going to be three straight episodes of Grey Worm from Cincinnati hanging out and surfing on a beach somewhere. What a surprise! What a surprise! Yeah,
0: yeah but but uh, but to get back to uh, to to Sansa and Danny, I, I want to go back and I've been. Just so nonstop. It's like I want to go back and watch that episode, that uh, that scene between them again, because it was just so tense. It was so awkward with Sansa sort of sitting kind of ramrod straight and looking down her nose at Danny. And Danny, and, and the thing is, the nicer Danny is in that scene, in some ways, the more tense it is because we can we know how much she's trying because we know that that's not like her her nature right now to be like all soft and, and Hey, you know, here, here, Sansa, let me take your hand in here. Let me give you another compliment because I've already given you one compliment when I got here that wasn't returned, but sure. I'll give you another one and, and kind of present it like, Hey, you know, we're just two women out there. Rulers we're smashing the patriarchy. You know, we're, we're out there trying to like, you know, you know, impress everybody and you're doing a great job and I'm doing a great job. And it's like the harder she's trying, the more you, you kind of feel as a viewer that, Oh, if this gets rebuffed, she is going to be pissed off. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, and, and Sansa is just like, just wielding a little, she, she's yielding a little bit. She's like, yeah, I suppose I should have thanked you, you know, when you showed up to complete with your armies and your dragons to completely save our lives or try to anyway. And, then you know, sounds like can't she can't help herself. In some ways, mm-hmm. she might, she's she's a bit like John. You know, she can't help herself. You know, she's yeah. got that one thing on her mind. You know, in this case, what about the North? And she just can't help bring it up right there in that moment. And you know, Daenerys' hand goes vroom, right off that yeah. table. And it's just like you know, it's like couldn't she have like you know, had a couple more. You know, little brunches with with Danny first, and you know, you maybe have the big battle, and then bring up their sovereignty. <laughs> you know, you don't need to bring it up right then. You don't need there to was, try and get everything you want immediately.
1: There were uh, there were a lot of there were a lot of Stark kids bringing up things at bad times. Oh in this episode, yes, They're, which
0: they which, excel at that. It's it's which, the big lesson that Ned Stark Stark taught them. It's like if you yeah. have something on your mind, you best <laughs> say it immediately, regardless of the consequences.
1: Say it say it to the person who probably. Shouldn't hear it at the moment when they are least willing to hear it. Um, but you know, it's funny because the, the difference there between Sansa and Jon, and this is why, like, it's great seeing, like, you know, they are kind of both very much their 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 father's children at the same time. Sansa, she's just like better at this than anyone, man. I, I like the idea that like everyone is very focused on the battle ahead, and you know. I, I I do understand the sort of environmental catastrophe nature of the battle against the Army of the Dead and that, you know, everyone is sort of setting aside their differences. Um but I'm a little like bored of that on the show now. and I, I just it's just great that, like Sansa, as a sort of authority figure, is the one person who's kind of like, ok. Like, Yes, there is this sort of final showdown, but, you know, let's think about the last 100 pages of Lord of the Rings here. Like, you know, what happens after the final showdown? Like, what where do we kind of go from there? And I just I like that like she's very much has that kind of grander view and just contrasted with Danny who in a way like in her mind the grand view is always like I'm sitting on the iron throne and like that's it. Like I've fought for it really hard, like I've come on this long journey. That's kind of the end goal. And I'm just really intrigued to know, you know, what does that look like in the past when she's had to sort of, like, do things that we might not agree with? It's always been kind of like, well, like, you know, you're going against characters that we really don't care about. Like, the mm-hmm. dudes who own the pyramids over here, like, you can... Whereas, right. you know, her Very versus smart. Sansa, that's really kind of like two in-world superheroes who've yeah. each been on their own journey. And I just, I think that's such an interesting kind of dynamic Yeah, to play yeah, that,
0: that's Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point because we've had these moments with Daenerys where she's just like... You know, well, why don't I just send my dragons over there and burn that city? And and Tyrion's like, no, let's not do that. And she's like, well, you know, why don't I just like crucify all these maesters and and or or, or all, all these masters rather? And we're like, oh, okay, I'm sure they're all they're mostly bad, right? you know. And 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 so we so we've kind of cut her a lot of slack. But now that she's in yeah. Winterfell and yeah. and and having these interactions, it's like there, there's so much more more attention and i think that's part of the the, the brilliance of the, of the way this whole end game is 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 constructed is you have all these fan favorites they're all together they're all there to fight a common enemy but there are these underlying like earthquake faults you know, <laughs> you know you're going through all these relationships and you know it's just a question of whether they can really put aside all, all these differences and and sort of you'll know, work to their own you know communal best interest or, or not And we're still waiting to see... uh... How how that turns out,
1: James? We've now we, we've now both said the word endgame, uh, which, which must be some sort of subconscious shout out to the ten hour Avengers movie that's coming out <laughs> this weekend. I, I'm actually planning on seeing the movie earlier on Sunday, so Sunday will potentially be an extremely emotionally traumatic viewing day for me between that movie and uh, next week's episode of Game of Thrones. Um, um, oh my <laughs> God, yeah, yeah,
0: James, you'll, you'll you'll have to stay offline from like Thursday night till till Sunday then. Oh, I'm that's sure.
1: that the that, 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 that's fine. The the internet is a, you know, dumping ground of uh, of horrors except when it comes to talking <laughs> about TV shows it's um, very
0: dark and full of horrors
1: and uh, <laughs> exactly it's all the army of the dead now James let's so circling around Winterfell this is another episode where like the, the, the increased uh, atmospheric production on Winterfell we got to see every kind of corner of it over the, over the course of the night um, what were the kind of uh, interactions that really stuck out to you what were the moments that really kind of um, made you sort of feel like this was an extra special uh, episode of, uh, I, of I, the show
0: I mean, I loved um, the Jamie Brienne stuff. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. And you know, I think there's even a story online after the first episode, like all like outrage that Brienne wasn't in the first episode. It's like, you know, just wait. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they haven't forgotten about Brienne. They have some really cool stuff planned for her, and uh, and and this episode certainly. Had that the the show's title is the episode's title is uh, a knight of the seven kingdoms and that refers to both Jamie and Brienne. You know, here you have one guy who has been a knight his whole life but has never lived up to its ideals, and whereas you have Brienne who's who's you know you know struggled for uh, for for a position of honor and for status, yet yet has always lived up to those ideals. And here you have um, you know in the words of Brian Cogman who wrote the episode, uh, it just, you know, you have them sort of finally becoming the two people that they've always wanted to become together. And, um, you know, first you have this wonderful scene. Um, first you have like the vouching scene, you know, I do vouch for him, uh, in front of the tribunal. And then you have the second beat, um, where, where I, I love that brand is just like, wait, what's going on here? Or why are you not insulting me? You know, why, you know, there's something wrong with you. If, if, if you're not putting me down and he goes, ask her for the honor of, of serving under her command. And, and, and it's, you know, not played too heavily, but as you know, Cogman point out in our interview, which I really encourage everyone to read. He gave like lots of really insightful uh, comments about the, the episode. Um, this is huge for Jamie to do. For Jamie to say to put himself under anybody else's command. I mean, it, I mean, is is almost impossible to imagine, and to do it to you know a woman, you know, too. You know, is just like it's it's so different than we've ever seen him to kind of submit himself uh, like that. And then you know later on, you know, they're all hanging out by the fire, drinking, and the subject of Nighting comes up and Tormunds all you know, you know, oh, you know, I'd knight you, I'd knight you so hard, I'd knight you ten times over, you know, like it's like, does knighting mean what you think it means, Tormund? <laughs> you know? And and uh and Jamie's like, yeah, you know what? Actually a knight can make a knight, you know, you know, let's do this. And it turns into this wonderful moment. I think it was easily fan's favorite one, uh last night, and where it all kind of plays out in these range of emotions on Gwendolyn Christie's face as she slowly processes what's going on at first thinking that she's being made fun of of course you know per usual and then and then realizing that she's not and then being a little like a little concerned how's this going to go and then having this teary eyed moment. Um, it's, it's, it's like at the end of the Lord of the Rings, when they all bow to the hobbits, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know. which, you know, which is a moment that, that, that brought me a tear every time I saw every return, time. return every the time. king. It's like they bowed to the hobbits. It's, you know, you know, and here it's, it, it's like, you know, you know, you, you know, Brianne finally being, being given the recognition and respect and the title that she so richly deserves. And, you know you know I, I think it's a lovely thing about the relationship and uh, you, you know I had like a brief it wasn't a full interview, but just I had asked Gwendolyn Christie when I was on set, you know what was the scene you know throughout the entire series you're most proud of and she said it was it was this one uh, that just in terms of how much this means for her character, um, that, uh, that that she thought the nighting scene was was her best scene.
1: Well, and there's just so much, I think, kind of going on with her internally in that scene. Um, Gwendolyn Christie is so great. I I feel as if she's occasionally been done a disservice. Well, certainly in the Star Wars movies where she has to wear a helmet the whole time. But like on this show especially, you just remember in scenes like this just how much she can accomplish without really saying much of anything. Now, James, one thing I will say is in Return of the King, uh, nobody gives a slow clap to the hobbits, which is what Tormund did at the end of this sequence. And I thought that was like... The yeah. Kind of an example of some of this episode being a little too corny and a little too. I missed
0: a... I, I miss the slow clap. I mean, w- w- was there a little bit of a sense of of one upmanship there between Torment and and Jamie? <laughs> he he. I mean, because he was like trying to like. You know, he he obviously Torment obviously has this crush on Brienne. And he's just like, well, you know, you know, I, you know, I think women should be knights. If I would make you a knight, and then Jamie's like, yeah. hey, I actually, I can make her a knight. So <laughs> so so move over, Redbeard. I'm, I'm gonna. I, to do this right now. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's funny. I mean, Torment's kind of one of these characters, but I, I love that actress so much. Christopher, uh, I'm not going to pro- try to pronounce his, his last name, but, um, you know, I, I do sort of feel like he's kind of the character who's been the most, like, uh, you know, we're in season eight and formerly freaky, badass character is now everyone's lovable uncle. So some issues there, but I, I definitely agree that, like, in general, um, just the Jamie-Brienne relationship, I think that it's such a return to one of the great kind of through lines earlier in the show was them sort of like on their journey across a ruined Westeros through season three. Speaking of people who were journeying across the ruins of Westeros um, Arya and the Hound uh, had a nice little meet up on the battlements um, and you know you wrote about this in your recap that like you kind of feel like their you know mini Cormac McCarthy journey through the middle seasons of the show is one of your favorite parts. I I couldn't agree more. I just think that like it those are that's like if you took if you extricated those scenes and put them into a you know hour long or or however long sort of separate thing it is just this incredible story of these two characters and I, I thought it was interesting to kind of pick that up again um, we we talked about this a little bit last week but I just like how in general um, the Hound seems to very clearly you know respect the fact that Arya is like you know that she's been through horrible things and has maybe become a not-so-great person as a result of that. Like, you know, we haven't really had any scenes of the Stark children doing that thing of saying, um, so what have the last few years been like for you? And I I understand the impetus for that a little bit on the storytelling side, um, but it does kind of create the feeling of, like, you know, all the Stark kids, uh, they, they still love her, you know, they still, like, accept her. And I like how the Hound clearly sees that she's a different much more fatalistic person now. And so I, I thought that kind of added to their sort of interaction there. Had, um, ha, how'd you feel about this kind of scene between the the, the, the former <laughs> former antagonist slash, uh, yeah. you know, a- opposite ends of a buddy movie across a, a, an, an apocalyptic landscape?
0: Yeah, the Hound's become one of my favorite characters. And... Uh, and, you know, just some of the scenes he's had in the last few seasons, uh, like when they stumble upon the, the farmer's house with the family that, that died, that, that uh, Arya and uh, that, uh, he, that he had robbed uh, during their journey and decides to bury them. I, I think that's one of, you know, one of my favorite hound scenes. And during my rewatch, watching the scene where Arya leaves him and he's kind of begging her to kill him and she refuses to do it is one of the best scenes, you know, for, for me in the show. Um, so yeah, and any time with them two together, uh, they were a little bit sort of, you know, you know, terse and prickly to, to each other in the premiere here. It's like, she doesn't really need an invitation. She just kind of sits down back next to him. <laughs> and it's kind of, it's, it's like one of those relationships where silence is comfortable to some degree. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you feel that. And, uh, you know, and I love the line. And when I heard about the, I heard about this line before I saw it. Um, the line where he goes, you know, she's like, you know, you've never, you've never fought for anyone. And he's like, I fought for you. And I expected that to be played so much heavier because you could play that in that moment so much more emotive and heavier and I fought for you, you know, you know, you know, there's a way of doing that to make it such an awe moment, but instead they kind of wisely kept it very houndy still, you know, yeah. you know, the way he kind of just kind of sort of dryly says it, you know, he doesn't, they don't sink into sentimentality because that's not the type of person that he is. But, it, but, but the meaning of that is, is clear. Is just sort of that his, Journey towards you know becoming this more redemptive character really started with that when he thought you know Brienne was there to do her harm and you know basically. Paid nearly with his life to, to to try and try and keep her safe.
1: Just to kind of focus on that moment specifically, James. I kind of think that like what's great about Rory McCann is he kind of he kind of makes it seem as if the Hound is almost realizing for the first time that he fought for Arya, or like like you know he is kind of almost surprising himself to realize that he hasn't always been such a you know human sludge. And yeah. I, I think that's all kind of part of the journey that you know you were talking about that that he's kind of been on from being on the way opposite side of uh, the wall.
0: One interesting uh, thing about that is uh, Rory McCann would tell me that, you know, in in addition to being inherently a bit of an introverted guy, like every season before starting Thrones for like a month before filming began, he basically told his friends to just leave him alone. Don't don't call me. Don't come over. I'm not going out. And he would isolate himself and become like and live like this very isolated person. And when he was on set, he would often like just sort of keep to himself and not talk to anybody, you know, to get himself in that hound headspace. And um, though... You know, by the time the final season rolled around, he said he, he started like making an effort more and and wanting to socialize with his his co-stars because he started to realize, you know, I'm not gonna be seeing these people again after this. You know, I you know, I want to spend time with them. So so it's weird to hear him talk about that in that it's it's like his behind-the-scenes journey mirrored a little bit uh uh uh, uh the hounds journey with unexpected twists and turns around every corner of the all new Toyota Rav4 Limited delivers advanced tech, refined style, available, dynamic torque vectoring all-wheel drive and multi-terrain select so it's prepared for pretty much anything in its path visit toyota.com slash rav4 for more details something that had been you know brewing a little bit in the background uh you know certainly in the premiere um yeah i think it's the relationship fans had kind of shipped a bit uh, for a while previously, that that something might eventually happen there. But I don't think there's any like clear expectation that something necessarily would happen. And I think it's partly because, you know, a, a, as a character, um, Arya Stark has, has, has never seemed interested in romance, never seemed in, interested in sex. And, you know, as I get into it a bit in the recap, I think it's partly because, she hasn't had any opportunity for that. You know, she's, you know, since she's, she's, she's come of age. I mean, she's been always focused on training and killing and, and revenge and survival. She hasn't had both the time to have those thoughts form and another person to have those thoughts form around. But now that she's, you know, potentially facing her destruction the next day and Gendry is there and he's very, pleasant to look at. And, and she likes him, you know, it's sort of like, well, why not? And so it's like, on one hand, I think this is something a thing fans took issue with. It's like, well, it seems so abrupt. It's like, I see that, but I could also see that switch flipping for her like that. And she, you know, she's certainly a, a bold person, you know, and, and a bit of a fearless person. So I, I, you know, I, I, it worked for me. But what what did you think?
1: I thought, uh, you know, James, I definitely had a a bit of the reaction to this of just kind of like, not sure really how I feel. This is definitely a character that we've seen literally kind of grow up. And so there was that kind of immediate moment of being like, oh, like, you know, but um, what I found really interesting, and this is sort of where I sort of think that a lot of times your sort of writing on Thrones does help me process a little bit. You had a great interview with Maisie Williams herself kind of talking about this scene. And I, she, she seemed super confident and even kind of funny about it. And it reminded me like, oh, right, like she's a great performer and like, you know, I think it was in your recap you'd kind of mentioned that, you know, what's the alternative? Is it making this character sort of a sexless PG-13, like, Marvel superhero that only really expresses their power through violence? And I think that's all really good points. Um, I think for me the bigger issue is I worry this show has a little lost its fastball with the romantic relationships in the last couple seasons. Um, There's just very, like, Th- there's a kind of forced sweetness to a lot of it. You know, I, I feel that with, like, the Grey Worm stuff. I feel that with Danny and John in a big way, where they've kind of gone from zero to deeply in love. And I think here it was just a little, like, you know, we see Gendry, and he's, like, you know, sweating in, in his, like, blacksmithery. And, like, my my wife was like, that looks like the cover of a romance novel. And it's just so, I don't know. I I, I found myself wondering, like, you know, Would this scene have worked me for me a little more if I felt like there was more chemistry between these two? It seemed to be the kind of thing where like it's really dragging a lot on the history between these characters, but like I don't really recall them being like that tight to begin with back then. Like they were certainly traveling together, but you know, like that's not necessarily that's not a return to a dynamic that I recall being like super vivid. So but I, you know, all that said as I am complaining about this scene, I feel like some of the complaints against it I I wouldn't necessarily go along with. Like, I I value the fact that, like, you know, this is a show that's trying to show these characters, certainly the characters who were younger, it's, like, them growing up in every way. And, you know, would it be sort of totally inauthentic to just have this person who's been on this sort of origin story journey? Um, You know, we've joked before about the Batman Begins of Arya's arc, and, Mm -hmm. like, you know... Batman in general in the Nolan movies is a pretty, like, sexless character, except for the Marion Cotillard uh, hookup, which is all kinds of strange in the last movie. And so I I, I like what you're saying about the idea of, like, you know, this isn't her like becoming someone she's not like this is her sort of like doing this at a moment where she is literally about to die and they're all about to die um mixed feelings in general I guess James is is, yeah. is, is what yeah. I'm saying but but again yeah. I, I did find um I did find Maisie Williams's interview on the topic just super super interesting I mean it's clear to me that like she had really you know thought through all this stuff and had like you know conceived of it in a really interesting way
0: right yeah I I was I was extremely happy with, it, with the way that interview came out and I, I love the bit from her friend Sophie Turner where she's like she got the part first in the scripts then she calls her friend and she's just like just spoils it for her she's just like you need to turn to this episode this page right now you know, you know and, and read this because you just because you know it really kind of brings forward their their kind of friendship and yeah. uh, and and it, you know I, I always like interviews that that tend to capture what the person is actually like, and I, and I feel like this is one of those interviews where your Maisie's personality really comes through.
1: One thing I will say is, um, you know, in general with this episode, the moments that I didn't like were the moments that felt to me like, you know, they were almost sort of like, here we are right before the big battle and we're all gonna like sit down and read off each other's resume to each other. Like, you know, hi, like I'm Dolores Ed and I'm gonna remind you, Sam, of all the stuff you've done. And for some reason we're gonna hear that Davos has fought in multiple battles. And you know, what I like about this scene is um it just feels like we're going to die like we're you know this is literally you know tiktok hours until like you know the worst battle in the history of our entire world and i just felt like um, at a moment when everyone else on the show is kind of like, ah, oh, let's set aside differences and in a way that i found not always convincing. Um, I don't know, there's something very human about just kind of like, yeah, like, we're going to hook up. Like, I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, like, I what mean, how, how
0: would you do? want to spend your your last night on Earth? I think as, 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 I, as I said, my recap, while well, everyone else is like, you know, you know, drinking and singing and giving promotions and sharing swords and talking about their dead parents. I mean, are you hooking up? See, I, I think that's the best plan. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, I, so, it's like, we, you know, you know so what else are you going to do? I mean, yeah, exactly. and, and, exactly. and yeah, and there's this sort of sense, you know, among, again, among, among some of the critics of it, it's like that this somehow, Oh, she's like strong female character this somehow diminishes her. I'm, I'm just like, so it, no, it does not. It's like, yeah. you know, as I, as you're pointing out in the recap, it's, uh, there are other ways of showing strength other than killing people, other than beating people up, other than being, uh, you know, part of some strong superhero team, you know, you can be, you totally vulnerable with another person and that is a type of strength as well for her to stand there and, You know and show him like all those scars that 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 nobody including us has, has ever really seen I mean that requires a strength and, and vulnerability. That's a different kind of strength and yeah. Uh, and yeah So I I thought uh, you know good on Arya
1: so let's talk some strategy here, James, because this is sort of like the episode that leads into the great battle. We kind of got um, what you described as like potentially the last uh, s- sitting around the uh, risk board pre-battle scene kind of strategy session, and um, another qualm I have with this episode a lot of people uh, going out of their way to praise how smart Tyrion is which is <laughs> not something that recent seasons have shown to be remotely accurate um, but uh, w- we sort of get a general sense of what this battle is going to look like um, they, they they seem to be leaning pretty hard on the hope that the army of the dead will only attack from one direction which, which I'm, I'm intrigued to see how, how that sort of uh, pans out next week um, but it wasn't uh, clear
0: to me me. was was the fire trench, trench dug all around the Well, on
1: the on the game board they did the thing where like there were only the you know the uh, uh the human uh chess pieces were on one yeah. side right um, oh, okay I see they did establish something that I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on um so okay the night king from what we can see wants to kill everything that that's kind of his main mo I'm not sure you've seen anything to really you know, differentiate that he's got you know untold hundreds maybe thousands of dead people plus some like blue dudes on horses at his disposal and the dragon um you know, one big question would be, like, uh, how do you possibly take this army down? Like, you know, we're outnumbered, and also they can, like, fight on. So first, you know, this notion is sort of put out that if you kill the Night King, you kill everybody, and that's kind of something that we've seen before. Kill, kill a White Walker, you kill everyone who that White Walker sort of whited back into undeadness. Um, Follow-up, the Night King... You know, what he what he really wants to do is take down the Three-Eyed Raven. And so that kind of seems to become the central kind of heist going into this battle of, you know, how do we kind of get him to show himself? Now... If I'm the night king, I'm not going to be anywhere near this battle <laughs> because <laughs> cuz I mean essentially as long as I'm not there, this battle is basically over with. So I'm I'm, I'm a little I'm a little confused about some of the strategizing okay. going yeah, into Okay. Yeah, well this. It's,
0: it it seems a bit like like in a game of chess is that you each side both has a, a king in quotes, right. you know, one side you have the night King and the earth side, you have brand, you know, that sort of linchpin, you know, if you get this one, it could all be over sort right. of, sort, sort of, uh, sort of figure. Um, you know, they also said at one point, well, you know, if we're there, we, we, we wanna be close, but too close or the night king won't come. It's like, well, how the fuck do you know? <laughs> you know what do you know? What, I mean, what do you know that the supernatural being will or won't do? You don't know. Um, you know, <laughs> you know he's, he's I mean, In the same time. He's literally you know,
1: as old as like this country, basically. Yeah, yeah and he's and, older than
0: this country. You know, and also pushing back on your point, you know, oh, he'd hang back. Would he? Again, yeah. we don't know. He I mean he's he's always seemed utterly fearless. And before he's never seemed like he had any. Well, then again, you know, there was the scene at the frozen lake when he sort of hung back uh, uh, on uh, in at, uh, you know, beyond the wall where he sort of hung back there on the sort of clifftop with all the whites down below R- rushing the lake, so 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 he did seem to have a sense of of I'm going to hold you know myself, my generals back, and and, yeah. and let the troops move forward. Moment there,
1: because well, it just I mean I, I don't know the the, the kind of golden snitch aspect of this plan was I think what a little worried me, and you know I I think one thing I should make clear is you know th- th- this is something that next week's battle scene may immediately disprove, as you said we don't really know what he the night king is going to do. We certainly don't know like I mean you know the the the, the worst. Thing thing you, you can do on this show is make a plan and, and hope that it all kind of comes together um, yeah but you know w- w- one thing I always think of when I think about thrones in general and of a song of ice and fire is there's that great line from George R. R. Martin talking about the end of return to the king to return to something you were saying earlier like you know what happens to all the orcs like you know we've, we've just had this epic battle scene you know the other side doesn't disappear like you know where do they go and like you know how does that affect all the resources on on this side of Mordor and mm. I, I I, you know not knowing what Martin's plan is and knowing that the people involved in Game of Thrones know way more about that than I do it's intriguing to me that we're at this kind of point where it's kind of like yeah like if you kill this guy then the whole gang kind of like disappears and I know that's been something that's been established but you know we seem to be we, we're, we're table setting for this like epic three-eyed Raven Night King showdown and I I at least as far as planning your entire strategy around that that was a little confusing to me again I'm I'm saying all this knowing full well that like this could all go out the window in the midst of the actual battle episode next week but that's that's kind of like a that's like a it's a concern that I have I guess (laughs) yeah
0: I mean true but it's also it's like with the information that they currently have that's like the obvious thing to try. It's sort of like with yeah. with you know Dragon Fire and the Night King. Will that work? Well, we don't know. But you know, it's like that's the mm-hmm. best idea to try. So I get that that yeah. this is the battle plan that they would do given their existing information. It's just a question whether any of it will work, which is like an open question. And and um, I think yeah, sure the uh, the uh, the idea that this is. that the plan is going to go perfectly according to plan is something, you know, I would assume probably won't happen. You know, they keep talking about how, Oh, the crypts are the safest place. And you're looking at that going, really is, is, is the room with all the corpses the safest place? You think so? You, you, you really think that's gonna you, be the you, same as place? <laughs> you know, you, know? you
1: mentioned this in your recap, and like a chill went down my spine. Where I was just like, "Oh yeah!" Like, I mean, could could the dead people in the crypt sort of suddenly like poke their way up through the statue that kind of looks like them and begin to lay waste to all of our like all the most all the most lovable yeah. characters?
0: I don't know. I mean, I I I would think that I mean tombs are usually crypts are usually sealed, right? I mean, they don't just kind of have like like, like like a little spring hinge lid on there. They're, aren't they usually like, you know. What do you know about
1: Crips? I don't, I know, don't know what they have I- down there.
0: I, I, I don't know how I've, I read Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. that's like all uh, well, I know here's about here's what burials. I do know is you know
1: we, we shouldn't assume that those crypts are low tech because whoever makes those statues is really really good at making perfect likenesses of, of dead people um, so, so maybe they are kind of more secure than we know on the topic of uh, badass little ladies um, there was that moment of uh, the young uh, young northern girl with scars kind of talking to Davos and Gilly um, I, I, I thought uh, you, you made the good point in your recap. This idea of kind of conjuring up um, gone but not forgotten, Shireen, and what she meant to both of those characters. Um, again, that was that was a good bit of like not putting too fine a point on st- on, on, on on something.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I I really love what um, uh, Cogman said about that in our interview because he yeah he wrote he he pointed out because he gave a little sense of the process of how of of how these things go and and most writers aren't usually, usually that candid to really let you in on on how things evolve in the writing stage and he noted that you know he's like I wrote a scene where Davos and Gilly get on the subject of knowing how to read and get on the subject of Shireen and how she taught them both it was the right inspiration but it felt contrived and then with the showrunners notes it evolved into the scene where the scene is absolutely about Tireen, but neither of them are aware of the impact she had on the other. It was a beautiful way of acknowledging all these threads between all these characters that m- many of them are not aware of and never will be aware of. Only we as the audience have the pri- privilege I just of think being that's, aware of
1: just, It's interesting to see that in an episode where a lot of people were becoming aware of the strands between them. I thought that was an interesting bit of business to sort of like not really put a too fine an effort into them understanding this about each other, but both of them in the moment being really, really nice to this little girl and both kind of finding a way to coach her into going to the crypt and not facing off against the, the army of the dead, um, which I liked a lot. But, James, into the crypt, we must go. Mm. So, so, <laughs> <laughs> so so John ha- has been sitting with this whole Aegon fifth. Yeah. V- uh, information
0: right just keeps ducking Danny because he just can't even he can't even look at her it's just like uh, it's like he's got all this stuff he's got the weight of the world like on his head with the whole battle and you know and everything else going on and then he just looks at her he's just like oh I, I I, can't even do this right now I can't I can't so
1: then so then he picks the worst possible moment okay. uh, <laughs> then exactly. he picks the worst possible moment they're down in the crypt. They're hanging out in front of the woman who is, in fact, his mother, though he grew up believing that she right. was his aunt. Um, you know, she's kind of talking about Rhaegar, this brother that she'd always heard so many wonderful things about. But the fact that, like, you know, he uh, in the allegations that it, that had swirled around that war starting uh, love affair, um, you know, he'd raped her. To which John says, "That's not true. He actually was a good guy. As a matter of fact, he was such a good guy. He's, he's my actual dad." Yeah. Well, you know, one um, thing,
0: just just real quick on that. One bit about that I really liked is it was like the upteenth time that Daenerys tries to say something to somebody at Winterfell that's like sort of modest or, or or nice or you know tries to make a bridge with somebody by going hey yeah you know that targaryen yeah i always heard he was great but yeah he was really awful to your family right you, you know it's 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 like she you know she's trying to say something disparaging of her own family to try and you know connect with another stark and once again it's just like well Actually, you know, and then it turns on her again, you know.
1: Not only that, John's like, "Hey, stop saying that ab- about my dad, okay?" Like, it is just such an absolute <laughs> like moment of catastrophe for both of them. Um, yes, but uh,
0: I do you love know, when he declares, "My name is Aegon I mean, I mean, you're eye rolling. I can see you eye rolling on Skype. I have w- I, I totally geeked out at that. I like that, and just especially since he said it, and but the camera. You know, the great David Nero directed the episode. The camera, like, stays on her and her kind of, like, stunned reaction. Like, what the hell is this? And not sure to believe whether it's true kind of freak out.
1: Yeah, um, you had a great chat with uh, Amelia Clark that uh, is up on EW.com right now, kind of about this moment, because there is this sort of great dichotomy here of, um, you know, John is weathering so much emotional stuff as far as, like, here I am with someone who I you know am in love with, and there's so much else going on that's very, like, stressful right now, and now I'm finding out this information. And for her, her kind of initial spoken statements jump right to the matter of secession, that, like... um, uh, You know, she is the sister of his father, but that makes him the last remaining Targaryen male heir, uh, which, as you have kind of handily mapped out, means that he is kind of next in line for the Iron Throne, Um, which, you know, again, I guess a big through line for me with these first two episodes is like, you know, Characters having fun and enjoying each other's presence, I don't like that. Characters being really focused on, like, you know, what is the actual, you know, post-war with the zombies layout of this power structure going to look like. It's interesting to see her kind of jump right to that. And even, you know, in a way it feels a little more, it feels emotionally realistic that she would do that as well. I mean, like, she has been kind of on this, Journey. Ever since she saw her brother, uh, burnt golden brain matter pouring out of him uh, across the narrow sea, she's kind of known like I'm the last Targaryen. Um, and you know, in the you know, because there's no young Griff like in the books, that's always kind of been the case. And so it's interesting that like, you know, in this moment, it is kind of just like, as much as John kind of feels like, oh, like everything that I thought was going well is now going a little less well for her. This is sort of the, like the, the flipping of the table of everything that she'd kind of understood. And right. I, I liked, I liked that kind of dichotomy that he sort of feels as if, um, I'm sure, I'm sure he feels kind of like, Hey, can we talk more about the emotional stuff? And she's just like, wait, let's, let's, let's kind of pull back here for the kind of macro view of all this. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like telling somebody like, uh, Oh, Oh, my dad died. And the person goes, Oh, so you get the boat, you know, it's, 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 you know, you know, he's like focused on the emotional and she's like, Oh, the pragmatism of it. But, but as Clark says in, in our chat, you know, you know, she, she defends this marvelously well from her character's point of view. She's like the related thing to her is so normal uh, Daenerys could have easily married her b- brother. It's not a, a thing. The main thing is we're up for the same promotion, and I've been working for it for my entire existence, and he doesn't even want it. <laughs> you know, so to her, it's like, wait. From the moment I was born, I have been struggling to obtain this. I have killed. I have fought. I have been through all this. I was like, you know, enslaved. You know, all this fighting, all this effort, this uh, focus on this one goal. And here's this guy, you know, who I'm fooling around with, having some fun with. And he's like, oh, yeah, actually, that's that's mine. <laughs> you know, oh, I don't want, though. You know, it's like, dude, <laughs> you know? oh, but you know? Ed,
1: he's he's so he's he's like the Paul Rudd character from Parks and Recreation, like just like, oh, yeah, like, uh, you know, I guess I'll run for I guess I'll run for uh, city council. Sure. Why not? Never mind. I didn't really want it anyways. You could have it like. Um, and that's just that's interesting to me. I mean, I guess, like, in general, what I find interesting about this episode is, It left me most excited. um, Not even really for next week, although I know that next week will certainly be, uh, as you've written about and as we've discussed, will be a sort of production-heavy and potentially fatality-heavy episode. Um, Just in general, it left me feeling like the real meat of this season is in whatever happens afterwards. And I, you know, I I don't. I guess it, it is theoretically possible that at the end of next week's episode, most of Winterfell is demolished and a few people are just kind of running south and the Night King is, is still marching downwards. I'm not sure I think that's going to happen, um, but I, 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 it, it, it intrigues me to think of like, what are all these kind of, as you'd said, these underlying fault lines, what happens to them when everyone isn't sort of on their best behavior a- a- anymore? There were more, more kind of like intimations of that stuff is what I'm really uh, kind of uh, stoked about. Um, but James, on the topic of next week's episode, um, You know, you've written a lot about it. I don't know what happens in it at all. It seems clear that from this episode we're meant to think that there will be a lot of these characters um, not surviving. Um, I'm really intrigued because, you know, it seems to me like there are characters left on the show that, like, if I were looking at this from a grander scale, I would say they still seem to have a destiny, like John and uh, 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 Danny and Arya and Sansa, and maybe even kind of Tyrion to a certain extent. Um, and what intrigues me is like this is a show that, from the George R. R. Martin source material, if someone seemed to have a grand destiny, they would usually die horribly. And right. and it intrigues me to see, like going into next week's episode, there are characters who, were they to die, I would not be surprised. Like, Beric Dondarian, I love your voice so much, but I'm still shocked Great that voice. you're around at this point. <laughs> and everyone else seems equally shocked that you're still here talking about the Red God. Like, you know, we sort of left that behind a few seasons ago. <laughs>
0: well, he, um, he has died seven times. So. <laughs>
1: he, well, he has, he has. That's true. That's true. That's true. So maybe he's, listen, Beric being alive at the end of this would not be that surprising. But I'm, I'm intrigued to sort of see, you know, they're kind of the characters who, who like have the kind of Rick Grimes force field around them right now, and I'm intrigued to see what happens to them in an episode that I assume will be, I mean, over an hour of potential, you know, long-running character fatality happening one after the other. <laughs> yeah, I
0: think this episode for those people who are like, well, this episode was was kind of slow or 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 whatnot. I sort of feel like this episode and the next episode are. are two sides, the same coin for lack of a better term that, that it'll Probably both will play stronger in tandem. Like if you watch this and then you watch the battle episode, and so you watch an hour of this and then eighty minutes of battle, battle. It, it, it sort of puts the chocolate and peanut butter together, right? So, so it, because this is all ramp up to that. You know, this this is this is the before, and 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 that's the well, not after, that's the during. So, so I have a feeling that you know when people binge this season. And they watch those two back to back. It's going to play really, really strong. Um, you know, so, and next episode does hit the ground running. From what I understand, it's like from the moment the episode opens, we're right there in it. And that goes through the entire 80 minutes. It's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's basically non-stop. There's not a lot of dialogue. Um, you know, so yay for recapping, <laughs> less <laughs> notes to take. You know, so there, there, you, there's there's not you, a lot of dialogue. There's a ton of action. Man.
1: You poor man. After this episode, where there were just like speeches and oh and, my god, and, and there's the like so many scenes I wasn't even, able, even <laughs>
0: able to get to. It's it, it made me feel bad. I felt like I'm not you know giving it enough justice. But um, there's yeah, there's uh, there's there's it, going to be multiple characters that are taking part in their own different survival stories. And it's all intercut together. Um, and from everything we heard is spectacular. I mean, obviously they spent, you know, did 11 weeks of night shoots, plus all these, you know, interior shooting, uh, longest consecutive battle ever put on screen. Yet it's not all action. It's not all, you know, by battle, that doesn't mean that every moment... Is is fighting. You know, some moments are hiding. Some moments are, you know, you know, sort of, sort of, you know, working around and strategizing. You know, there's like all these different things that are that are going on, and uh, and it's the return of Miguel Sabochnik, the uh, director of hard home and Battle of the Bastards, um, you know, the Emmy winner, uh, you know, who's done such spectacular work on the show, and who just really uh, killed himself making the the this episode. This, this poor guy. I mean, when I was there. He was working, you know, there's one point I think I said on a previous podcast where he was, you know, manning three different units, production units at the three at all at the same time, like running back and forth between them, which is just bonkers. And there's one day when he finally, he, he finally had to take a day off because he like had the flu and he had to take like one day. And it was just, it was just like, and that was after, you know, just working nonstop for months. So, um, everybody really sure, sure, put sure, sure. the sure, sure, most sure. effort but they possibly could into this, and so I, I can't wait to see the result.
1: But did Miguel Sapochnik ever have to write five post- postmortems on an episode in one night? No, he did not, James. <laughs> yeah. No, he did yeah. not. Slacker. Yeah. Just kidding. Uh, yeah. Very excited about uh, what he's going to be doing. Will Podrick uh, sing another song at the end of next week's episode is is the big question that everyone <laughs> is is asking. That wraps it up for this week's episode of EW's Game of Thrones Weekly. Everyone, if you haven't, go on EW Dot com right now and check out all the great stuff that James has been writing and will continue to write uh, throughout this week and leading up to next week's mega sized episode I uh, would love to hear from you as we're kind of going into our own final act here on EW's Game of Thrones weekly so tweet at us he's at James Hibbard I'm at Darren Franich love to hear from you love to hear your thoughts on this episode that was so divisive here and yet we were very respectful to each other we respect each other's differences of, of opinion just don't bring up Breaking Bad fly episode again because that'll throw James into a tizzy and I'll go into a fugue state with how much I love that episode. Um if you like what you hear, give us a rating, give us a review. Uh we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on radio.com, we're on Spotify. We'd love to hear what you're thinking about the show. We want to become uh, our best podcasting selves as we go into our own final act here. Uh and uh, with that, I will leave you off with one final message. Courage can be a powerful asset which is why the all-new Toyota RAV4 Adventure Grade comes with standard dynamic torque, vectoring all-wheel drive, and multi-terrain select, so you have the courage and confidence to roam over almost any terrain. doesn't matter if it's winter, if it's summer, if it's whatever the weather's like down in Dorn. Roam every- anywhere. Just visit toyota.com slash RAV4 for more details. We'll see you next week, everybody.
0: Is is there snow in Dorne? Do we know? I mean, I want to know. I mean, you know, is, are, I mean, is Marine getting any, it's getting chillier? I, I, I want to know what the rest of the planet, is it even a planet with, we, you know, we don't even know. It, it, it could be a, a, a flat Earth disc.
1: From now on, the epilogue of every episode will be me indulging my my book reading side. James, I believe in the books. It's winter everywhere in Westeros. It's not winter everywhere on the show. How could they change this? Ah, ruination. Um, just kidding. We'll, uh, uh, everyone will uh, be talking. We'll be talking to you next week.